Hey, good morning, church. Thanks for being with us this morning. My name is Joe Hess, and I am the Karen Connections Pastor here at South Suburban Christian Church. My joke as Karen Connections Pastor is, I get paid to care. Most folks do it for free. But uh, hey, thanks for joining with us this morning. Pastor Ike a while back asked me if I would do the message this morning. I asked him what was the text and he said it was the feeding of the 5,000 and I said, hey, I'm in. If it's got food involved, I'm in. So I asked you guys to, um, I asked you guys to join us this morning. We're, we're gonna be looking at the feeding of the 5,000. We're gonna be looking at it uh, from Matthew's gospel. If you've got a Bible handy um, close by, I wish you just to go grab that. If not, we'll, we'll show the words up on the screen here in a moment. But uh, this morning, we're looking at another Jesus story. In the last six and a half weeks, we've been looking at Jesus' story, and this one's a big one. Not just because I say so, but the gospel writers say so. It's in this story, the feeding of the 5,000, it's in every one of the gospel stories. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all say this is an important story. And you might want to check me on this, but I believe it's the only story next to the death and resurrection, next to the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is the only story in all of the gospel stories. So if you would turn to Matthew's gospel, chapter 14, starting at the 13th verse. Again, this is an important story. Um, listen carefully; these are God's words. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew to a boat to a solitary place. And I just want to stop there real quick. Um, there's a story that's happening within the story here. What G- Jesus has just learned, John the Baptist was dead, killed in prison, beheaded actually. John the baptizer, he was the one who prepared the way for Jesus. He was the one who told folks that Jesus was coming. He was Jesus' first partner in ministry, and now he's gone. This feeding of the 5,000 story takes place in the context of another story, like so many of our stories too. Life is humming, humming along a certain way and then it's interrupted by a phone call or a text or a news flash or a pandemic. The story changes, our story changes, or the story's interrupted like so many of our stories. There's a story within the story. Back to this story. When Jesus heard what had happened, again, the killing of John the Baptist, he withdrew by a boat to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. You give them something. You have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, Jesus said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If it's okay with you guys this morning, let's fuss with this story some. In scholarly circles, they would call this narrative criticism, looking at the story for the story's sake, not at any level questioning whether the story happened or not, just entering into the story through the storyteller's eyes. Here's the givens in this story. Number one, they're in a remote place. Number two, there's a bunch of people there, 5,000 men plus women and children, a bunch of people. Number three, it's getting late. Folks are getting hungry, probably tired. Number four, 
At some level, the disciples are concerned about the people. And number five, they are short on provisions. Five loaves, two fish. There's this situation that presents itself. There's this huge crowd. It's getting late. Folks are tired and getting hungry. There's no Shake Shack or Chick-fil-A for miles around. The disciples think Jesus should send them back to town. And Jesus says, no, not today. You give them something to eat. Don't send them away. You give them something. They check inventory. We're way short, way, way short. How do we make up the difference? We've got nothing, five loaves, two fish. We've got a couple of Happy Meals here trying to feed this huge crowd. You're crazy. And I'm right there with the disciples. Maybe you are too. Hey, hey Jesus, it's getting late. Send the folks back to town before we have a real mess on our hands. There's a part of me that would be thinking too, these knucklehead people, they came all this way, they should have been better prepared. Yeah, that's right, it's the crowd's fault. The easy answer, send them back to town. Jesus says no, no easy button today. Don't send them away, you give them something. And the disciples, we don't have enough. It's not gonna work. Do the math, this is crazy. More loudly, they say, we don't have enough. It's, it's not gonna work. Do the math, this is crazy. To Jesus, they say, we don't have enough. It's not gonna work. Do the math, this is crazy. Ever been there? Ever said those words or words similar? We don't have enough. It's not gonna work. Do the math, this is crazy. And we're not talking about buying a Lamborghini here or a boat or the newest iPhone. We're talking about when God we're talking about when Jesus taps us on the shoulder and says, I need you to step into the story, my story. You give them something. And every instinct in our mind and our body says, no way, no, 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 no. Common sense says, we don't have enough. It's not gonna work. Do the math. This is crazy. But Jesus asks us to show up. And just to fuss with this a bit, this isn't the first time something like this happened in God's story. Remember Moses God speaks to Moses from the burning bush, tells him to go tell Pharaoh, the king of the Egyptians, to let his people go. And Moses says, no way. God says, way. Moses says, pick somebody else, pick my brother. God says, I pick you. Moses says, we don't have enough. It's not gonna work, do the math. This is crazy. God says, you give them something. You show up, I'll take care of the rest. And Moses isn't the only one. And I borrowed this from a pastor friend of mine in Boise. Think about all the folks of the Bible. Ones we call giants of the faith. Most of them lack strength or prowess, ability, courage, resources, grand speech. But here's the good news. The Lord can do so much with so little. And it's happening now too, isn't it? God's calling us to step up individually, but also as a church family. And we grumble and moan and repeat over and over again, hey God, this is a pandemic. This is like people are sick, people are dying. And we say, we don't have enough. It's not going to work. Do the math. This is crazy. But sometimes, somehow, it does work. And not perfectly, often differently than what, what we would have thought, but we bring our little Dixie cup of blessing and God shows up with a fire hose. Back to this story. That's what happens here. God asks them, God asks us to, to put some skin in the game. You give them something to eat. You give them something. And we grumble and say there's an easier way. And God says, shh, shh, shh. You give them something. And back to the text, verse 19. And he, and Jesus, directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. 
Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. We bring to Jesus what we have. Jesus just asks us to show up. And I have to share with you guys, at times I can be a very reluctant shower-upper. I'm not sure if that's a word, but it, but it is here. It says it right here, shower-upper. I got an email two weeks ago, Friday night. One of our members, Paul Stacy, is in Littleton Hospital, wrestling with congestive heart failure. Heart failure. Could a pastor or elder please come? It's not usually a big deal, and prior to the middle of March, we, we did this all the time for our folks. But because of COVID-19, it hasn't happened since. And I checked with Paul's family. They think we can visit now. I checked the website, the hospital's website. The hospital is limiting visitors to one person per day per patient. And I called Tim's, I called Paul's brother Tim to tell him what I found. He initially encourages me not to go. But as I talk, I can tell he really wants me to go. And I tell him, I'll, I'll try. I'll try to use my pastor card and see what happens. I told told this to Pastor Ike later and he was envious. You have a pastor card? Yep, laminated. Not really. Saturday morning, it's July 4th. I go to the hospital early. There's nobody there, but reluctantly I go. In a couple of weeks, I'm supposed to go visit my dad for his 90th birthday. And man, the last thing I want to do is get sick. Newsflash, there are sick people in the hospital. Really sick people. Coronavirus sick people. And I don't really want to go to the hospital. But I go, reluctantly. As I come into Littleton Hospital lobby that morning, there's nobody else there except there's a person behind the desk and then there's a person in front of the desk and it's our neighbor, uh, Cindy and I's neighbor, our friend Carrie, who lives two doors down. She's there at the front desk. The day before, her husband Gabe, young guy, strong guy, fit guy, sort of like me, was rushed to the hospital thinking he was having a heart attack. Turned out he had a leak in his aorta and they were able to fix it with some duct tape and bailing wire, a stint. He was now laying upstairs on the fifth floor, recovering in the ICU, and I, I give Carrie a non-virtual hug, and I tell her, I'll try to visit after I visit one of our members. The front desk person, Rose, an RN, overhears this, and Rose, who would become my friend over the next little bit, Rose was the gatekeeper that morning at the entrance of the hospital, checking employees and visitors' temperatures, asking them how they're feeling. She shares with me, probably, probably won't be able to go. One person per day per patient. And I tell Carrie to say hey to Gabe for me and that we're praying for him. Then I tell Rose, I'm a pastor. Is there any way I could go visit one of our church members, but I don't want to take up a family member's place? She asks me, how sick is Paul? How's he doing? Is he dying? And I tell her, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think so. And Rose looks up in her big book of COVID-19 hospital regulations. She's looking for a loophole for me. And if, if I'm honest, I'm really hoping Rose doesn't find a loophole. I'm really hoping I can't go up and visit and pray with Paul. In fact, I find myself praying that I won't be able to visit. But Rose, she's persistent. She keeps looking. She calls a hospital administrator, a boss type. She leaves a message. I'm thinking, I'm not going up. I start writing a note for Paul that they, they can deliver up to Paul to tell him I've come, I showed up. I share with him that I wanted to give him a hug from God, but because of this COVID stuff, I couldn't come visit, but I would be praying for him. Rose, the front desk nurse, asks me my name. And a woman who had just come into the hospital overhears that. She, she comes to me with tears in her eyes and says, Joe, Joe Hess? Now she has a mask on and I have a mask on. The only way she knew it was me because she heard me tell my new friend Rose at the front desk my name. 
and I have no clue, absolutely no clue who this person is. And my mind is racing through my mental Rolodex and I'm coming up empty. Again, I'm just seeing her eyes. But she knows me and knows I'm a pastor. I'm thinking she must go to our church. So I kind of play along. I, I ask her what's going on. And she shares with me her son, her 37-year-old son, is upstairs, six floors, is dying of liver failure. I ask her if I can pray for her son. What's your son's name? Sean. Let's pray for Sean right here. And we break social distancing protocol. I lift up Sean and his mom and Sean's family to Jesus. Rose at the front desk breaks in and tells me I can go up now to see Paul. Room 622, sixth floor, follow the signs. And as I'm saying goodbye to the woman who I've just prayed for, she asks me if I'm still going to Nancy. Nancy, 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 the family friend who has cut my hair for 30 years. Bingo, this is the lady who cut hair next to Nancy for most of those years. This is the person who moved to Arizona three or four years ago. She did my wife's hair. From way back, I'm finally able to say, Donna, 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 will be praying for Sean. And if it's okay, I'll ask our church to pray for Sean and for you too. I go to the sixth floor to finally visit Paul Stacia. I say, hey to Paul, but they're running some tests on Paul. And the technician asks me if I could come back in 15 minutes. And I say, sure, I'll be right back. I go back down to the lobby and ask Rose, um, would there be any way I could go visit my friend Gabe and his wife in the ICU? Rose shakes her head. The, the ICU, that's a, that's a whole different ball game. Let me, let me check again. She gets on the phone, speaks to someone up the food chain. I hear her tell the person, no, he's not family. He's a pastor. He's got a cart and everything. Yes, it's laminated. Rose hangs up. She says, go ahead. But you can only stay for a short time. And with a twinkle in her eye, she, she warns me, don't tell anybody I told you you could go up there. I go and visit with my neighbors, my neighbor friends, Gabe and Carrie, and I pray with them. They had moved into our neighborhood maybe three or four years ago. We knew them and had been friendly with them, but we didn't really know them. We didn't know, know them. But since the coronavirus hit, we've been doing happy hour with them and some of our other neighbors, 5 p.m. every Monday in one of our driveways. We've, gotten to, we've really gotten to know them over these past three and a half months and their two little girls and I was now praying with them at Gabe's bedside. I finally make my way back up and visit Paul and I get to pray with him too. After this is all said and done, as I'm walking back to my car, I'm reflecting on what just happened. For a guy, for me, who didn't really want to come here this morning, God nudges, the Holy Spirit of God nudges me to go. And reluctantly, I show up at the hospital. Still hoping I can maybe just write a note and go home, and God says to me, whispers to me, I not only need you to show up, you need to give them something. Not from you, my beloved knucklehead, but from me. But God, they have, they have rules and there's this really serious, serious virus going around and, 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 shh. God says, shh, shh, shh. You give them something. What do you have? Not near enough. Woefully short. I, I can't fix anyone or heal anyone or make them feel better or less scared. And God says, I know, I know, but I can. You give them something. And in this case, it's me showing up and praying for some folks, walking with them, reminding them that they're not alone, pointing each of them to God, holding each of them up to God. And this is, this is not a wow, wow God story. This was all subtle and small and easy to overlook maybe. I don't know if you guys are like me, um, but sometimes I look for the bonfire and I miss seeing the candle. 
Sometimes I, sometimes I listen for the shout and miss hearing the whisper. Two weeks ago Saturday, I'm asked to show up at the hospital and pray for one person. I reluctantly show up and God multiplies what happens. Was it just happenstance that I bumped into Carrie, our neighbor, going into the hospital to see her sick husband in ICU that morning? Maybe. Was it just a weird coincidence that a lady who used to cut my wife's hair, who now has moved to Arizona and I haven't seen in maybe three or four years, overhears my name and we end up praying for her dying son in the lobby of Littleton Hospital? Happenstance, weird circumstance, just some random events, just some fluke, maybe. Or were these divine appointments, were these God moments nudged into motion by the one who holds us all and loves us with no strings attached, who calls us each children of God? Were these divine appointments? A friend of mine reminded me the other day that God, the Holy Spirit of God, can do so much with so little. We just have to show up. Again, sometimes we show up with our little Dixie cup of blessing and God, God's there waiting for us to show up and he's got a fire hose of blessing that's building pressure. The crowd follows Jesus. Back to the story. The crowd follows Jesus to a solitary place. As the day draws late, the disciples come to Jesus. Jesus' closest followers, Peter, James, John, Andrew, and the rest, they come to Jesus, and I believe in my heart, they really care for the folks who have gathered around Jesus for healing in his words that day. They ask Jesus to dismiss them, to have them go back to town to get something to eat before it's too late. And I love what Jesus does next. The unexpected thing, the -the over-the-top thing, the impossible thing. Don't send them away. You give them something to eat. You give them something. And the disciples, they're they're all in agreement. We don't have enough. It's not going to work. Do the math. This is crazy. And I ask you guys, audience participation, say it with me. We don't have enough. It's not going to work. Do the math. This is crazy. One more time. We don't have enough. It's not going to work. Do the math. This is crazy. We have said the same thing. I would have said the same thing. We don't have enough. It's not going to work. Do the math. This is crazy. We say the same thing now, don't we? We've said the same thing. Life happens. Circumstances happen. Situations present themselves before us at church, at our jobs, at home, in the Home Depot line with a mask on while we're socially distancing ourselves between everyone. God moments happen. God opportunities happen. Divine appointments happen. And we're given a choice. Just like the disciples in this morning's Jesus story, we can take the easy way out, press the easy button, no real skin in the game. It makes sense. It's what normal folks would do. And we justify our non-action, our our not getting involved with these words or very similar words. We don't have enough. It's not going to work. Do the math. This is crazy. And the opportunity, the situation, the divine appointment, the opportunity to see God at work in and through us, the opportunity for us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, the opportunity for us to bring a Dixie cup of blessing and to witness God with a fire hose, we miss it. Before long, the opportunity vaporizes. Pfft, gone. Or maybe, maybe, just maybe, we fight through the voices in our head. We fight through the voices of the world that tell us, that remind us how woefully short we are, how inadequate we are. And we bring just what we have, as small as it may be, just a prayer, a phone call, just some encouraging words to someone. That's all I've got. I'm broken too, tired and weary for sure. 
God just asks you and me to show up. God, the Holy Spirit of God that breathes in and out of you and me asks us to show up and then God takes our little and sometimes blows it up, expands it exponentially. God, the Holy Spirit of God can do so much with so little. We just have to say yes. We have to say yes to the craziness of it all. We have to say yes when God commands us to do what he told the disciples that day. You give them something. The disciples, they bring to Jesus what little they have. They fight through the voices that keep reminding them we don't have enough. And they bring to Jesus what they have, the five loaves and two fish. Jesus has the folks sit down. He takes what they have given him and lifts it up to heaven and he gives thanks. He says grace. And then the miracle happens. And the story is not about what the disciples did or how, many, how much food was left over. It's about the power of God and God using us, partnering with us to accomplish amazing things. Holy stuff, holy stuff is the technical term and if you're taking Pastor Ike's vocabulary of faith class this summer, ask him about that term, holy stuff. The focus is always on what God does in the story, in this story, in our story, not what we do. It's us saying there's not enough, we're not enough, and God says, I'm asking you to do not your will, but to do mine. And that's where lives are changed. That's where miracles happen. That's where transformation happens. That's where real heart change happens. When God says to us, you give them something. What he's really saying, I will partner with you. I just need you to show up. Stop looking at what you don't have. Keep your eyes on me. I'll make up the difference. I'll fill in the gaps. As Pastor Ike has reminded us several times during this sermon series, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. From John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If, If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the vine, you are the branches. Let's go make some fruit. But you must stay connected to me. Don't think this is about you. Don't be amazed at what happens because of you. It's because of me. Stay connected to me, stay humble, bring what you have, and we'll go from there. And the image of the cross reminds us of what happens here. The vertical piece of the cross, what God's done for us, how much God loves us, the extreme blessedness of the Beatitudes in Matthew's Gospel. They're all gifts from God. The horizontal piece is how we respond to that, how we show the world God's love and what God's doing in and through us, the hands and feet part, being Jesus in a world that needs Jesus so badly, being Jesus with skin on. This is how God works in my life. God asks me, what have you got? I say, I don't, I don't have enough. And I can see God smiling at me. That's not what I asked. What have you got? I got nothing. Beloved knucklehead, God says, God's a little forceful with me. What have you got? Okay, okay, I've got five loaves and two fish, but God says it's perfect. It's enough, let's go to work. St. Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, and all God's people said, amen. And maybe you, maybe you have felt God tugging on your heart to do something, and maybe it's just the faintest of a whisper, but it's a persistent whisper. You give them something. I can't do that right now, I just can't. The timing's not right. Maybe in a few years, maybe then it will be possible, but not right now. 
If you've ever read the Jonah story, Jonah says, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I'm more of a Tarshish guy. Be careful when you're going against God's will. Pay attention to the nudges, to the whispers, to the persistent callings. You give them something. You give them something. It might be your divine appointment. You just need to show up. We're going to transition to communion now, and Leela is going to play an instrumental piece called God of Wonders. And as we listen to this piece, a beautiful piece, I want to invite you, if you can, to go to a quiet place. With just the music playing, no words, I want to invite you into a quiet place, a worshipful place, a holy place, a be still and know that I am God place. To try and listen how God might be asking you and me, challenging you and me with those words you shared with the disciples next to that lake that early evening. You give them something. You give them something. And how might God, the God of wonders, the God of all, how might God be asking you right now, you give them something. And maybe God's asking you right now to make a phone call, to reconnect with someone you've lost touch with. You make excuses. God says, you give them something. Call them today. Maybe God's been tugging on your heart to make it right with someone. You can't even remember how it all started, but you know it's not right, and you need to make it right. You just don't even know where to start. And God says, you give them something. You make the first move. You tell them you're sorry, and you ask for forgiveness. Even if you know most of the blame is on their part, you give them something. Or maybe it's a son or a daughter or a father or a mother or a friend that needs some of your time. You've been busy with work or life and you know you'll have time as soon as this pandemic, as soon as this season passes, as soon as this is over and God is telling you, commanding you, you give them something. You give them your time, your heart, and your undivided attention. How's God calling you and me, nudging us to give them something, to give someone something? This pandemic thing, um, it's brought our two kids back home for a short season. Sarah, she's our 19-year-old from college, back from college. Jake, 26 years old, unexpectedly laid off from work. They're both scattered now to the winds. Sarah's working as a counselor up in the mountains at a Christian camp, virtual campers only so far this year. Our son, Jake, he loaded up a U-Haul trailer with all his stuff and headed to the East Coast to start a new job. Sarah, I know she'll be back, but I'm not so sure about Jake. He's left home before, but this one felt a lot different. The question that I had on my heart as he drove away from the house, did I give him enough? Did I launch him well? Did I teach him the really important things that he'll need to make it through? Did I teach him about Jesus and what it means to have faith? Something that many of us know sometimes we just run out of time. You give them something. And if you can, do it today. There's a cost of following this Jesus. No free rides, with very few exceptions. There are no free meals. You really want to be my disciple, my students, Jesus asks. You've got to be willing to take up your cross and follow me. What's the cost of following this Jesus? What's our cross? Obeying the command when Jesus says to us, you give them something ask you, invite you to come into a holy time now, listening for how God may be whispering to you and me to give someone something. You give them something.